if you've brought a Bible with you, you can open up there in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you're wanting to use one of the Bibles provided underneath the chairs, uh, that is on page 975. Galatians 5 begins on 974, but we're going to be reading a passage that is on page 975 of those Bibles. Um, I, I believe it was C.S. Lewis who wrote uh, several years ago of the devil and demons uh, something to the effect that there are two equal um, and opposite errors that we can make in relation to the, the spiritual world of evil. He said, on the one hand, uh, we might err by disbelieving in their existence, but on the other, uh, we may uh, believe in that world, but have an excessive and unhealthy interest in uh, the devil and demons. And I, I do believe that there is something similar that could be said with regard to the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are, when it comes to thinking about the Holy Spirit, I have seen some extremes in my years of following Christ. Uh, on the one hand, there's all manner of weirdness, I'll just say, that is attributed to and done in the name of the Holy Spirit. So I have been a part of a church where uh, they were enamored with the ideas of people just falling over unconscious and shaking uncontrollably, uh, laughing hysterically, uh, even uh, barking like dogs, and believing that this was the fruit and the activity of the Holy Spirit. But then on the other extreme, people see those kinds of bizarre behaviors being attributed to the Holy Spirit, and they want nothing to do with that. And so the way that they respond is to functionally ignore the activity of the Holy Spirit. They act, though their doctrinal statement might say, they might say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Functionally, they live and think and act as though he does not exist. And we, being Bible-minded people, uh, we want to avoid both of those extremes. Beyond mere avoidance, though, we, we don't simply want to avoid extremes. We want positively to praise and adore and celebrate the Holy Spirit. He is God. He is a member of the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is God, he is worthy of our praise. And so as we have just completed a series of messages last Sunday where we considered the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, and so we'd spent a week talking about each of those fruits but we really did not talk much at all about the person of the Holy Spirit or the dynamics of how the Holy Spirit works in us. And so it just seemed like on the heels of that series, it might be a good time for just a standalone sermon. We do this from time. It's just one sermon. It's not in a series of sermons. I just thought it would be a, a helpful thing for us to consider a little bit 
the person of the Holy Spirit and his role and his work in our lives. And it really is preparatory in some ways for the series that we're about to begin, Lord willing, next week as we study the book of Acts, because we will see and have much opportunity to learn and be watching the Holy Spirit at work in that book. But here's a a standalone message just to prepare us for that. And so I want you to follow along as I read Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. Uh, I'm going to touch on some of the context in the verses, but really, I'll, I'll just tell you up front before I read, our focus is really on verse 25, that verse that is on the front of your bulletin. That's really going to be our focus this morning, but I will read for some context, verses 16 through 26. And before I, I read, let me ask for the Lord's help uh, as we come to the word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for how you've been at work among us. We thank you for your spirit who dwells among us. And we ask that you would uh, bring help to us. Uh, I've already mentioned it once in the service. It is the spirit who gives life. Uh, The flesh, our own human capacities and strength is no help at all. Uh, We need your power, as we've just sung of, and and that power comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we, we pray that he would be active and present among us now and that you would be glorified as the Lord and giver of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, the focus here is on verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And the main point that I want to draw out for you from that verse is, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's my creative sermon outline, okay? The the point is the verse. The verse is the point. It's simple. It's straightforward. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The verse is an exhortation to live in a certain way, to keep in step with the Spirit. And that exhortation is built on a past reality, a past experience, which Paul expects the readers to be 
acquainted with. We live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And so, uh, dear saints, children of God, those of you who have gathered this morning to worship God, the Lord and giver of life, if you are here today and you have new life, if you have a desire to be, if you're not here just by your own, because someone forced you to be here, you've come, you've desired to gather. If you have life, that life is due to the working of the Holy Spirit. It is by the Spirit whom we have life. This was a pressing issue for the churches of Galatia to whom Paul originally wrote this letter. It is, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, if you've ever read it before, it's a very serious letter because in it, Paul is urging and he's admonishing the Galatians to turn away from a very serious, uh, dangerous spiritual threat. And the threat was that of relying upon their own works, their own law keeping, their own selves in order to maintain a relationship and a right standing with God. So you can see in the beginning of chapter three, if your, your Bibles are open, it'd be helpful to keep your Bibles open, even though I'm just really preaching on that one little phrase in Galatians five. But in, in chapter three, you can, you can see Paul's burden here put forward uh, somewhat concisely. He says there in chapter three, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's like someone's cast a spell upon them. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now, that's a, that's a rhetorical question. That question, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That is meant to be answered with a resounding, emphatic no. And it's that rhetorical question. Having begun by the Spirit, would you actually think that you can complete yourself, that you can finish the work of salvation in your own strength, in your own flesh? That rhetorical question, Paul is returning to that, and he's impressing that upon the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 25, when he says, if you live by the Spirit, if he's the source of your new life in Christ, if he's how you began, why on earth would you try to go on maintaining that new life, continuing that new life in the strength and power of your flesh? But the premise of that is that it is the spirit who has given and who continues to give us life. And the premise of that is that apart from the gracious working of the Holy Spirit, we all are dead in sin and rebellion and unbelief and hostility towards God. I know that this is a familiar passage that I'm about to read, but I hope that you never get too familiar with Paul's teaching on this matter. It squares perfectly with Jesus' own teaching on this matter about the human condition apart from God's grace. The, The human condition before those wonderful words, but God, that we heard Jeff read earlier from Ephesians chapter two. Before the but God, there is an and you. 
And in Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul says, and you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You've heard those verses before, haven't you, beloved? You know those verses. Because we never want to move on from our mindfulness of that reality. That's why Paul said it. He wrote those words to Christians. He wanted them to remember what they were. And what they were was dead. He says it in another of his letters to Titus. He says, we were once, you and I and all humanity, we were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, to the the pleasures of our own self-worship and our God-ignoring neglect and disregard and apathy and hostility. We were dead, Paul says. We were blind, he says in 2 Corinthians 4. We were hardened. We were unwilling and we were unable to submit ourselves to God or obey his law. We were unable even to come to Christ when Christ was set forward. Uh, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him because we're that spiritually bankrupt and helpless. Jesus himself said that we were so dead and helpless and lifeless in our relation to God that he said to Nicodemus, you remember these words in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. You need a whole new existence and new life even to see or enter the kingdom of God because we all by nature are dead in trespasses. Children, children. I know that, I wonder if you've ever seen, like on the side of the road, um, like a dead deer or a dead squirrel. Have you ever seen like a, just a dead animal? Maybe even in your, in your yard, you've seen a dead bird. Yes? So, so you want to tell me about it. After the service, tell me more about it, okay? The next time that happens, it sounds like this is a regular occurrence, okay, that you see these kinds of things. So the next time you see a dead animal on the side of the road like that, one thing that you could just think of is that you are as able, you children, you adults know that when I'm talking to the children, I'm I'm talking to the adults too. You children, are as you are as able in your own strength, in your own power, in your own ability, you're, you're as able to love Jesus as that dead bird or squirrel or deer on the side of the road. You're that helpless. You're that hopeless. Apart from God. But why we're here, kids and adults, is not just to wallow in how dead we are, but we're here to praise God that when we were dead, God, in his grace, makes dead sinners alive. And he does so by the life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when, when Paul, in his letter to Titus, and he talks about how we were deceived and enslaved and led astray and foolish and disobedient, he goes on to say, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
not because of works done by us in righteousness. How could a dead person do good works of righteousness? But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that's that new birth that Jesus spoke of, we must be born again, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the good news that brings us together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that, that we were once dead and now we've been made alive, that we were once condemned, but now we've been justified, that we were once enemies of God, but now we've become heirs of God, that we were once children of wrath, but we have become now children of the living God, and all of it because of the life-giving presence and power and activity of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, even the crucified and risen Jesus would be foolishness to us. We would think that was the dumbest message ever. And there may be some among us even here this morning. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure maybe what you believe, you were invited to be here and you're here, we're, we're glad that you're here. We hope you give things to think about when you're here. We hope even that you would come alive today but if you are sitting here thinking about the fact that you were dead and lost in sin, doing your own thing, living your own way for you, and the fact that there would be mercy from God for you because of the punishment that you're due for living your own way, God in his mercy sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross, raised him up from the dead. He went to heaven. He's sending the Holy Spirit, and he's making people alive. If you think that's stupidity, if you think that's absolutely ridiculous, that's because the Holy Spirit's not working in you. But if you are here this morning, and it's maybe beginning to make a little bit of sense, like I can kind of see how I've been living my own way and how that's not really been working out. And I can kind of see that I was maybe created by a God who is my Lord and who is the giver of life, and that maybe I do, in fact, exist to bring him praise, to glorify, to honor him with my life. Maybe I don't really want to just live my whole life for me, but maybe I should live my life to praise the one who gave me life. And maybe I should turn away from living for myself. If you're thinking that at all, the Holy Spirit is working in you. That's a miracle. And if you're here this morning and you are beginning to think that way, I urge you to come to Jesus today. You might not understand exactly what that means or how to do that. It is simply receiving. It's confessing yourself to be a sinner and receiving Christ's mercy on the cross as your salvation. It, if you would like to hear more about what that means specifically for you, please do, please talk to me after the service. Talk to someone who's around you or who's invited you to come today, but do talk about that. He, he calls you today to turn from sin and find new life in Christ. And for all who find this new life, we cannot credit ourselves. It's not our intellect. It's not our humility. It is the mighty working of God's spirit. 
Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can even acknowledge that Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. It is the Spirit who gives life. And so if today, saints, if today you live, if you have tasted something of the worth and the beauty and the value and the goodness of God revealed in Christ, if you can testify in your own life that there was a time when I thought the ways of Christ and the word of God, that it was boring and irrelevant, and all I wanted to do was just get out of church and pay no regard to it, but now you've come to see in Jesus that he is a treasure like, and you would joyfully sell everything that you have to have this treasure. If that's happened to you, praise God, the Holy Spirit for it. You've been born again. You've been made a new creation by the very same spirit who hovered over the waters at the creation of the world. Do you know this life, beloved? Can you, can you testify to those words? Another song that I, you know, there's only so many songs we sing on a given Sunday, but another song that was on my heart is, is that those words, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. And do you know that life? If so, it is wholly and entirely possible by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. If he is the source of your life, if he is the Lord and giver of every bit of spiritual good and power in your life, not just the day you were converted, but every day after, every hour of every day, of every month, of every year, any spiritual good that is coming to you is coming by the agency and the activity of the Holy Spirit. Any, any desire to read the Bible, any verse of the Bible that comes to mind that is understood and enjoyed and appreciated, even the slightest impulse to pray and to pray particularly in harmony with the priorities and promises of God, any humility to confess sin, any desire to turn from your sin, any any word of encouragement that you would receive or a word of rebuke that you would receive from another Christian, any experience of unity and joy and fellowship with other Christians in a church gathering or in a small group or in a ministry meeting or in a coffee shop, any bit of conviction of sin, any, any bit of power to pursue spiritual change, any fruitful gospel conversation with a non-Christian, this is the activity and working of the Holy Spirit. Give him praise for it. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean exactly? Well, some of your versions might say, walk by the Spirit there in verse 25. 
This is one of those odd places, even different versions of the ESV Bible say different things here. It might say walk by the Spirit. It might say keep in step with the Spirit. The more recent edition of the ESV says keep in step with the Spirit. And I do think that's a good change because Paul is using here a different word in verse 25 than the one he uses in verse 16 where it says walk by the Spirit. This word in verse 25 carries the thought of holding to a rule or proceeding under another's direction. It was, a, it was used in language of the culture in the day. It was used in military contexts to speak of falling in line with a squad of, of soldiers. It was, the, it was what marching, it was what soldiers would do as they marched in rank. It's as though the spirit sets the pace and, and we keep up. It's like he's like a drummer laying a beat and we are to march along. And, and this is where I think there really is a good bit of confusion about what it means to live in the Spirit or have this life by the Spirit. I think we probably here understand that God, um, that this idea of barking uncontrollably or laughing uncontrollably, that that's not really the way the Holy Spirit functions. But I do think that when it comes to living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, I think a lot of us may have a tendency to think that that really has to do with like feelings in my, like I have a feeling, I have a feeling of peace, I need to make a particular decision and I'm trying to figure out what to do and, and, and when I have that, that feeling in me, I just know that's the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not my definitive, this is not the only thing to say about the Holy Spirit. So there's a good place to be talking about how we make decisions and how we think about these kinds of things and how the Holy Spirit is involved in a decision to you know, pick this career or that career or things like that. But that's just not at all what Paul is talking about or thinking about when he urges the Galatians here to keep in step with the Spirit. So I want to lean a little bit on the context here in Galatians 5, and I want to make three observations for you briefly about this life in the Spirit before we come to the Lord's table this morning. Keeping in step with the Spirit means following the Spirit into warfare. It's not just about a a big decision that you've got to make. Should I marry this person or should I stay single? I'll, 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 I'll wait for the Spirit it has to do with being led into warfare with your sin. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Life is war. And being led by the Spirit is being led into warfare against your sin. This is both a comfort and a call. Okay, It's a comfort because for those of you that are here and grieved and pained to see that there's still this ongoing struggle with sin in your life. Like I've I've been following Jesus for 22 years. Why am I still struggling with this thing? Well, it's because there's a war going on. Don't begrudge the fact. Don't be upset that there's war. Be thankful if you find war in your soul because spiritually dead people aren't warring against sin. They're just contentedly, happily living in sin. 
Paul says in Galatians 5, 5, through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, meaning you haven't yet attained it. We war, the spirit wars against the flesh, the flesh wars against the spirit. And so the way we are keeping in step with the spirit is when we follow the spirit into warfare against our sin. Second observation, okay, it's, it involves warfare, following the spirit into warfare. It involves keeping in step with the spirit, involves desiring what the Holy Spirit desires. Do you, do you see, I'll just read verse 17 again. Do you see? The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The essence and the heart of this warfare that the Holy Spirit leads us into is a war of desire. It's about crucifying the desires of the sin nature with stronger desires, the desires of the spirit. And what does the spirit desire? What does the spirit yearn for and delight in? Kids, this is one of those, the church answer, right? It's a church answer. What does the spirit yearn for and desire and delight in? Jesus. The spirit loves and desires and delights in Jesus. When Jesus promised that the spirit would be sent, he said in John 16, 14, he will glorify me. The Spirit is not a mystical force or energy. The Holy Spirit is a person, and he is a person who is very excited about Jesus. And he uses all his infinite energy and power to share that excitement with his people. J.I. Packer has described the Spirit's ministry as a, a floodlight ministry. You think about it at Christmas time, maybe you've got a light display and you've got those floodlights that are shining at your house to, to, to point people so they can see the glory of your Christmas decorations. No, you're not upset. That floodlight is not upset if nobody's paying attention to the floodlight. The floodlight is there to shine light on something else. And the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Jesus, is to shine a spotlight on Jesus so that people see, wow, is Jesus worthy of, wow, is he to be exalted and adored and delighted in and desired and submitted to. And wherever that is happening, the Holy Spirit is active. I do think that's one of the reasons why maybe we tend to not talk about the Holy Spirit as much as... uh, Maybe we talk about the Father or or Jesus because the Spirit's ministry is to call attention to the glory of the Son, and he's happy that it's so. So I do want you to know that. I want you to be aware of how the Holy Spirit is working, but the Holy Spirit's just fine with you being thrilled with Jesus because Jesus sent him to glorify Jesus. And we need that ministry in an ongoing way because the greatness of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus and the loveliness of Jesus, that begins to fade in beauty and loveliness and, and, and worth in our own hearts. It shouldn't, but it does. Sometimes football looks greater. Sometimes sleep looks greater. Sometimes more Netflix looks greater. Sometimes it's more serious than that. Sometimes it's, it's illness that causes Jesus' worth and beauty to just become a little bit duller in our hearts. 
Maybe it's financial instability or uncertainty. Maybe it's workplace frustrations or relational breakdown. We got a whole lot of things going on in our lives that cause Jesus to, to grow more dim. And yet, the, so we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is saying, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. He's worthy, he's beautiful, he's good, he's trustworthy, he's dependable. That's what he does. Keeping in step with the Spirit is enjoying the Spirit's joy in the Lord Jesus. One more observation, keeping in step with the Spirit involves hearing God's word with faith. That is not spectacular, but I think it's the most practical and helpful thing that I can say to you about what it means practically to keep in step with the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit involves hearing God's word with faith. Why do I say that? Well, remember the verse that I just shared with you a moment ago, Galatians 5.5 said, through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So as you trust Jesus and his promise to bring you to glory in righteousness, as you have faith in that promise, you're waiting through the Spirit. The Spirit and faith are working together there. Uh, I'm thinking of Galatians 2.20. Okay, get Bible still open, Galatians 2.20. This is one. I know somebody's got this verse printed on the front of his Bible. Am I correct, Imru? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How does Christ live in us? By his spirit. Right? He, he, God sent, Galatians 4, 6, God sent the spirit of his son to live in our hearts. The life I, it's, it's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me. He lives in me by his spirit. And the life I now live in the flesh, that is that life that arises from the spirit of Christ living in me, that life I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that is produced by Christ's spirit living in me is a life of faith in Jesus, resting in all that he is and all that he has done and all that he will yet do for me because he loved me and gave himself for me. And, and one more verse, look at Galatians 3 verse 5. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay, that's another one of those rhetorical questions. He obviously means, no, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't supply miracles and work among you by works of the law. He works, the Spirit supplies miracle working power by hearing with faith. And every time we enter into warfare against our sin, that's miracle working power. And it's supplied as we hear with faith. Hear what? Hear the word. The word is the sword of the spirit. So that's the way we keep in step with the spirit is by hearing God's words, which the spirit inspired and believing them. And when you, when you hear with faith, when you hear God's word and, and, and there's faith rising up in you, that faith is the spirit's powerful movement in your life, which means the way we want to think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we should not just be looking for a bunch of mystical ecstatic experiences or quote unquote uh, spectacular revelations apart from scripture, but we should look to the scriptures themselves. If you want more of the Spirit's fullness and power in your life, read more of the Bible. 
Not earth shattering, I understood, but I think that's what life in the spirit, the, the spirit inspired the word. We, the life we live in the spirit is a life of faith. And so the way we tap into the spirit's power is we read more of the Bible. And God's word comes to mind. And listen, I understand it's not easy. It has not been easy a few weeks for me to be in the word. I'm like way behind. I'm practically like given up on the Bible reading plan for the year which I don't think I have done in 20 years. I'm so far behind. But I picked it up this past week, coldly, mechanically, because I know it's, it's, I know it's where life is found, and I'm behind, but I'm just pecking at it, and I'm reading through Hebrews, coldly and mechanically, reading through Hebrews 13. And it said in Hebrews 13, 14, here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. And there was this in me, there was this cold, just, you know, it's like I've been in a rut, I'm not. And I read that verse and I was like, amen. Praise God. That's keeping in step with the spirit. I could share a whole lot more about that, but we need to carry on with the service. I'm, I'm learning. Still learning, still struggling, day by day, from one degree of glory to another, to subdue my flesh in the power of God's Spirit and to live in that substance of Paul's conviction. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or as we're going to sing right now, to this I hold... My hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's life in the spirit, beloved. Not I, yet I by faith. That's a life in step with the spirit, beloved. May we know it and live in it more and more. Um, we're going to change things up uh, in the order a little bit. We're going to sing that song, Yet Not I, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table together. So let me pray. Love you, dear saints. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We pray that something said this morning has been of help to your people, that you would grant us to know more of the spirit's power, that you would grant us life you have if we have life here in Christ, it's because of your spirit. We pray that you would renew that life, that you would inflame that life, that you would help us to have more and more joy in our Jesus by the power of your spirit. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.